you mentioned the like opening up piece, which makes perfect sense. And I agree with you. I think in general in life, you're like, how much weight do I give to this thing? Because if I talk it into existence or into a bigger problem than it is, like my brain could believe something that like, or, or put another way, it's like we shouldn't believe everything that our mind mm-hmm. tells us just because we have the thought doesn't mean that we give it validity. So I can see that um, that being challenging at times to sort of do on the on the air and live also really rewarding because you end up you know certainly like connecting with people welcome to the other three years a show for anyone who has an olympic-sized dream they want to turn into a reality hi and welcome to this week's episode of the other three years this week on the podcast we're sharing part two of my interview with colleen seville so if you didn't listen to part one. That was last week's episode. I'd recommend going and listening to that and then coming back and listening to this week. Last week, Colleen and I talked about how she got into rowing and kind of her transition high school and college. So on this week's episode, we talk about how she got into commentating and the journey that she's been on there. And then she asked me a bunch of questions. So it's a super fun part two of the episode we did last week. A lot of new things to learn about rowing and commentating and Colleen and a lot of really great insight. So you definitely don't want to miss it. But before we get into that, I just wanted to share a little bit about what's going on right now in my training. So I'm still in Sarasota, Florida. I'm going to be here for a little while. And this week, at the end of this week, or really when this episode comes out, we'll be in the midst of it, our winter speed order. So we are racing at Nathan Benderson Park um, in singles and pairs. I'm racing in a single. And it's just what it's called, a winter speed order. So it's not a trial or a national selection regatta or anything like that. No one qualifies for anything from this race. It's just sort of a check-in. It is required if you want to continue on the rest of the year and trying to make the Olympic team and everything. So a lot of people are racing. People are kind of coming to the race from all different points of training. Obviously, some of us just have been on the water a couple of weeks, got back from Colorado. Some other people had this circled on their calendar for a while. So it's pretty exciting to see all of the different um, speeds that people are bringing to the table. And I think it'll really be some good, exciting racing. I personally am just trying to get better, you know, every day and make the most out of kind of every workout, race hard and and want to do as well as I possibly can do. But also, you know, seeing it in the bigger picture of where we are in the year, it's February and we're not peaked to be going as fast as we can possibly go. But that being said, like racing is racing and you know, you're only as good as your last result. So you really have to, you know, put your best foot forward every opportunity that's presented. And also racing is really fun. So I think that the more that I and everybody else can just embrace the enjoyment that racing brings and not get stressed out and bogged down and that kind of thing, the the more fun the experience will be. It's been a little bit windy this week. It's supposed to be windy the rest of the week. I think some of the days of racing seem like they'll be okay. There's talk of them kind of condensing the schedule a little bit because of predicted high winds. So kind of whenever we're racing, this sort of thing happens. You just really have to be prepared for anything. But the past couple of days have been a little bit breezy. 
So just important to, you know, stretch and make sure you're taking care of your body and everything like that. Not, not overdoing anything, but yeah, it's going pretty good. We had a Sunday football, uh, Super Bowl little viewing party in our hotel, which was fun. We had Costco pizza, which a lot of people were kind of hating on. Personally, I love Costco pizza, so I was a, a fan of it, but it was fun. We watched the first half of the game and then the halftime show and then had to go to bed. So we didn't even see the exciting overtime part of the game, but that's okay. I think more most of the people in the room were more interested in the commercials and Usher than anything else happening. So, but it was fun. It's always fun to, you know, hang out with everybody and enjoy some off the water time. Now it is time for part two of my interview with Colleen Seville. I think my college experience was that I was expected to perform at a certain level and I expected myself to perform at a certain level. When I went to Yale 2007 through 2010, they won the varsity three out of four years Mm -hmm. in a row. The year they didn't win the 2v1. So I fully expected to go into a program with, have you seen Miracle? Like the movie. Yeah. yeah. And there's the scene in yeah. the bar where he's like, Why'd you play college hockey? I played college hockey to win a national championship. Like, in some ways, that was I, like, I thought we were going to win NCAA. I, at least I wanted to be part of a program that was trying to win. Yes. And then that just yes. wasn't the reality when I was there. We were 10th, 11th, 8th. That was just what we were. And that's what my teammates and I were. That's what our coaches were. You know, that's not a bad performance. That's just not winning. And I think it was a really hard time for like our coaching staff because they, you know, wanted us to be better, of course. And I think it was hard to understand like what was happening. If Mm -hmm. If the caliber of athletes was different, if the speed of the boats was different, just what was going on. Because it, I think they had done things a certain way for a while. So who was winning at that time? Like Ohio who, State won three out of four years. Oh, that right. I was. That, that was not a loaded question. <laughs> but that was okay. That was that period. But, I was like trying to remember it. It's yeah. funny. It's well, it's not funny. But you told the story about you guys crying at youth nationals. Um, yeah. Sorry yes. to bring it back up on the on the air. Yes, but, we sure did. As teenagers, um, we're a little brats. Well, yes. My senior year, I rode in the four, and we ended up coming in second at NCAA's like point zero three seconds from first. It was actually a great race in the final, but we were in the same semi as Ohio State, and they did not make the final. And oh. actually, they might have made the final, but they came in third. I I can't really remember. What I do yes. remember was that they were crying. I am not sure I have ever been like fueled by another person. Like, yeah, I wanted to go up to them. It was just so like and be like, hey. yeah, well, and I guess it was a little bit full circle. Like the year before I had been in the varsity eight and we had this like epic race against Princeton at Princeton, our home, our duel against them. It was a great race. They end up winning and we were obviously very upset. I think we had all gone into it like this is our, you know, whatever. And my very good friend who was in the boat with me was after and I don't know, I was saying something and she was just like, what are you going to do? Cry about it. (laughs) And I was like, maybe. 
Possibly. But I don't know. It, but I think the moment was just one of those things where it was like, what are you going to do? Cry about it? You know, and I just, yeah. and Claire yeah. probably does not even remember saying that to me. But I think about it all the time, actually. Oh, that's um, so funny. And it's, it's funny. Yeah. yeah, these moments that stick with us. But it's funny because now Yozi says this thing of, you know, you can either be happy for 24 hours or you can be sad for 24 hours and then it's over. Mm. And I sort of feel like it's the same mindset of what are you gonna do cry about it like if you are it's only one day and then you know it's over yes Um, you have to get better at just sort of accepting it and moving on and it is a good point of like you can mope around for a full day like that's totally within your control and your rights but like is that how you want to spend the next 24 hours or do you actually just move do you actually just move on and keep going with it oh that's wild yeah so that because it's funny when you were talking about you're like yep 2007 like Yale winning the NCAA I was like yep and then everyone went out and bought Vespolis for like five years <laughs> and then we stopped rowing Vespolis like, when I got there <laughs> so funny I mean that's hard too to come in just after that because as you said it's like if there's this sort of like wondering if it's like the recruiting class or is it the like or like well, yeah there were like who's four winning. Olympians it- in that boat yeah you know and then yes. we were not in the same scenario. So, yes. you know, it was just one of those things. Actually crazy. Like in some ways I feel still a bit guilty because I'm like, well, I could do it. You know, in college, my coach was like, you know, you can go this fast on the erg and I wasn't going that fast. And now I'm going even faster than that. And I'm like, he was right. And I was the one that couldn't do it. <laughs> you know, it's just so funny. Like there's this, you know, the things uh, we hold like on to. and Yeah. Oh, totally. I don't have like those, you know, I'm not, I'm not like going Olympic speed on the earth, but I do have this one random memory of like back to Ohio state where I won, I won my seat race. That was like, that felt good. And then, so the next morning we show up, you know, this is like April or whatever it was. We show up at the boathouse and the like popsicle sticks are all like lined up and I see my name and I'm like, holy shit. Like I'm steering the first boat today. Like, okay, here we go. And you know, it's at like 5.30 in the morning. And so it's pitch black. And I have my Cox box and a speed coach. And there was probably like a GPS. There were like four different devices that like, you know, the one we needed to like get all the information. And I remember the the other freshman that was in the boat who is still like my very best friend, the German, German girl, Charlotte, she was stroking the eight at the time. And so we like launch and it's like my first official practice in this boat, you know, whatever. And so Andy calls from the launch and he's like, we did some kind of a piece. And he was like, you know, what was the speed on that? Something simple. Like, what was the speed on that? And the, like the like backlight wasn't freaking working and all the things were screwed up. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't get that because like blah, 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 blah. And Charlotte basically looks at me from the stroke seat and she's like, you're going to have to get that information, like get your shit together. And I was like, oh, but it's like one of those, like, what are you going to do? Cry about it? Where I was like, well, damn it. She's right. <laughs> but like, there's like four different devices and like, I was nervous and it was dark and there's probably like leaves in the rudder, but you just get the hell over <laughs> it. And that lives in my head rent free where I'm always like looking back or to your point where I'm like, oh, I could have done it where I'm like damn it. Like I could have done it. Like, why didn't I just press the right buttons and like turn on the light? Of course he wants that information. He needs to have the speed that his boat is moving and like whatever this piece was that we were doing, you know, you get it right so many times. And then like the one time you get it wrong, you're like, I'll never forget that. A hundred percent. You know? Yeah. It's hard to remember all the oh. like great things. It's so easy to remember all the times yeah. you messed up. Yeah. 
Okay. I do want to hear how you started commentating yes. and then how you started commentating with World Rowing. And then you can ask yeah, me questions and yeah. then we can all go to bed. Well, you probably don't go to bed yeah. at 8 p.m. But. This has been so fun. <laughs> no, I mean, I would go to bed at like 8.30 commentating. Commentating has been the unexpected like thrill of a lifetime. I have to thank Joe Wilhelm at Northeastern who got me into commentating. It was gosh back in like 2012 or something like that, 2011. I had graduated in 2010 and they, Northeastern was just starting to stream racing for like mom and dad in California. Right. So they were just sort of getting like the live stream stuff set up for rowing. And so he got in touch with me and was like, yes, yeah, so we need a voice. Will you do the, the, like the commentating? And so I said, Joe, but like, what would I possibly say? He's like, well, you're a coxswain. Like you just kind of use your voice and you sort of narrate the race. And it was such a blast. Like it was so fun to get into the launch and call those Northeastern races first for the women and then for the men in the few years after, because honestly it filled that void that co- that no longer coxing had had left me with and was this way to stay connected to the sport and I'd like ride my bike down there and I'd get to watch the races and I'd go home and I'd watch the live stream and I just like I really really loved it and I was really appreciative to stay connected to the team and then started doing more regional commentary for Gary Caldwell if you know him so he runs the IRA and sprints and Coincidentally, he was my sister's rowing coach at Tufts Mm. when she was in college. So I didn't know Gary super well, but like well enough. And he was kind enough to be like, come out to the women's sprints and then started doing the men's sprints. And then from there, probably whatever it was, like 2015 or 16, grew into doing the IRA, which has been such a thrill over the last however many years. Like it's just such an incredible race to get to be a part of and the production the guys who do the video um lincoln willie black like they do an amazing amazing job with the camera work and so it's kind of like getting the band back together every year when we get to go to the ira and obviously the racing is just incredible so you know super appreciative to gary for bringing me into that world and then it was gary again i believe who when the world championships came to sarasota Mm -hmm. in 2017 U.S. rowing was looking for local commentators. And so for folks who maybe aren't as familiar, you know, the way it kind of works with world rowing is there's like this pool of commentators. And at the time they were all all British. It's a, a little bit more mixed now, like English, you know, needs to be your native language. But these this all British commentary team, you know, travels around the world to the World Cups and the championships, etc. And wherever they go, wherever the race is being held, there are always local commentators, right, that, that jump in with them. And the reason being for the grandstand, people need to hear the racing in the local dialect, right? Um, when they came to the States, Obviously, it was like English, English, but they decided that they still wanted to have a couple of American commentators just for the grandstand to like, you know, the races in the States, let's like build kind of that hometown energy. And so I got connected with the world rowing team. And it was like in 2017 in Sarasota, it was one of the most amazing eight consecutive days of my entire life. It was very, very humbling. I learned really quickly that like that I did not understand how international racing worked it was a whole new set of like country codes to learn. There was a whole new lexicon, a whole new way to talk about rowing. Commentating singles was something that was brand new to me. I got to learn how to commentate para rowing, um, which was a new discipline to me. And all the while, you know, for folks who are familiar with Sarasota, you're riding in this electric car down the 2000 meter race, watching people like you, Christy, have like the race of their lifetime at the world championship. 
So it was unbelievable. I mixed up uh, Slovakia and Slovenia like more times than should be allowed in a world rowing production. I made loads and loads of mistakes and I'm super appreciative for all of the like coaching and grace that they showed me. And I left that week being like, I remember I was on this jet blue flight home and I got a little thing of Prosecco and like, you know, the like cheese boards that you never buy yourself. And I was just like, I did a thing like that was amazing. <laughs> like how cool was that? And then the next winter when World Rowing is putting together their schedule, which now I have a sense of how that works. They got in touch and asked if I would want to join them for the 2018 season, which I like actually fell, you know, fell out of my chair and it was like, are you kidding? Of course. And so in 2018, the world championship was in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. So I went out for that. And then since then have just developed some real deep, like friendships and working relationships with the world rowing team. I think as an organization, they're so strong, like they're super amazing people. And that goes for both the broadcast, the commentary team, like all the way up to the folks throughout the full organization. It's just been a total dream. And then, you know, over the years, I've had the chance to do like a couple of things like World Cups and under 23 championships. So to be able to sort of like have that range has been amazing too. And every time I do one of those trips, it is like not an exaggeration to say that it's like a total pinch me moment because you talk about being at like the thousand meter hut and the thrill of the race being thrown to you into the headset to pick it up and to have the opportunity to, to, to comment on the race that's in front of you the like research that goes into like researching you all and the little stories and like we're clicking into instagram we are like consuming everything that we possibly can about you all to try to tell the story of the race and like that narrative even the way one commentates and that like narrative and that arc is an art in and of itself. And I've learned an enormous amount from, you know, teammates of mine, like um, Camilla Hadland, Hadland Horrocks. She recently got married. Peter Tower announcer, Martin Cross, who's like my commentary, like idol when it comes to all of that. I've learned an enormous amount from him and feel so, so, so lucky in the times that I've been able, especially in more recent years to sort of sit with him and do video commentary to like put on the headsets together. It's just been the opportunity of a lifetime. Greg Searle is amazing. Obviously another, you know, Martin and he, but, uh, you know, at Olympians on Olympians. So it's been a chapter that I didn't expect and could have never anticipated. And the way that I kind of think about it, I mean, back to the point that you were making earlier of like sort of walking through the Yale campus and being like, I get to do this. Like I never thought this was going to happen. I'm five foot seven. As we've talked about with coxing, I never felt like I actually got to sort of see how far I could take it because I was never the right size. And in some ways, and logically I do sort of rationalize with myself, like, well, that's what it's like to be an injured rower. You know, like you didn't have the right body type or whatever the story is. But I would say commentary is the thing that like has paid me back in dividends because it's given me the chance to be involved in international rowing in a way that I never, I thought that, you know, was, was never going to be a possibility. That's so cool. So I feel really lucky. That's so cool. I feel so lucky. I really do. I never take it for granted. I, I do not ever take it for granted. That's amazing. That's really yeah, awesome. Thank you. And it's so fun to listen to you. <laughs> It's such a blast. <laughs> and to get to like shout out and like it's when you have been racing like over the years and to have the chance to like commentate on your races and then I'm like sending cat screenshots <laughs> of the splits on the side and like sorry, world rolling. I'm, I'm meant to be doing that with the like speed system. 
but it's it is amazing yeah how like the SRA community you can still feel it there too you know you said you had some questions for me yeah I want to know I want to hear more about your podcast so tell me about the idea and also what I always think too what an interesting space that you're playing in this idea that like it's not just the big performance moments there's time in between I want to hear about your ideation around that yeah so I you know like everything in life Cat connected me to Christine. <laughs> and I think, I, honestly, I was like, didn't really know what to expect when I met her. I looked up her website and I thought everything was super cool. But also I knew that she was working for the downtown bureau. And like I work as our as the regatta director in Saratoga. So I also thought that maybe he wanted me to meet her. You know, I wasn't really sure. Yeah. Um, but I just had been a like fan girl of I love podcasts and I listen to tons of podcasts, sports ones, stories. I listen to the daily every day, you know, I, like this. Amer- I still listen to this American life like I whatever. Mm. So then I met her at Crew Coffee and I guess I had kind of had this idea of a po- like just, you know, whatever. I listen to so many podcasts. So I thought, oh, if I had a podcast, it would be really cool. And I feel like I listen to a lot of podcasts which feature athletes for like one episode and they tell kind of their like greatest hits you may say and it features them you know right around the olympics and i literally listened to like uh, one of my teammates michelle sexer on a podcast like mm-hmm. i'm talking about right now and it was great but it's like what are all your highlights you know you're gearing up for your second olympics whatever hopefully and like to me it's so much more than just that And I think the thing that was so cool about going to the Olympics, there were so many cool things about going to the Olympics, but one of them was how many people were just really invested. And it really does take the help of so many people that don't even realize that they're Mm. helping and what they're doing. After I went to the Olympics, everyone wanted to hear about it, which is really nice. And I'm normally kind of bad at talking about, this is the other thing about me pre the podcast I never talked about rowing (laughs) like honestly like to my family to my friends like it couldn't have been more of a 180 like I just didn't talk about it and so I thought this would be you know a really cool way to share my story and my journey which is way harder than I thought it would be like being vulnerable is Mm. really hard because I mean, as you know, like it's not all fun and it's not always easy. And I think it's been hard to balance how much I really want to share on the podcast. I want to share, but like also, you know, you're always working through things and um, Mm -hmm. like acutely things seem like a bigger deal than, you know, they maybe are. But it's also been really cool to share different people's stories and their journeys. I don't know. It's been really fun. What's been most surprising to you? It's been really interesting when I talk to athletes from different sports, how many parallels there are. Like the, Mm. honestly, I feel like while the sports are different, almost everything is the same. Like the mindset and the lifestyle and just so many things are super, super similar, which is really cool. What's been, um, you mentioned the like opening up piece, which makes perfect sense. And I agree with you. I think in general in life, you're like, how much weight do I give to this thing? Because if I talk it into existence or into a bigger problem than it is, like my brain could believe something that like, or or put another way, it's like, we shouldn't believe everything that our mind Mm -hmm. tells us just because we have the thought doesn't mean that we give it validity. So I can see that being challenging at times to sort of 
do on the on the air and live also really rewarding because you end up you know certainly like connecting with people what has been challenging about the podcast maybe like besides or expanding on on that whichever well so i was dating someone for a long time and we broke up last summer and i think i was a little hesitant to have him on the podcast in the first place just because that felt like really opening up my life Mm -hmm. um and then we broke up and then I had to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> it's like, whoopsie. Um, so when he was on, you guys were together and then you guys broke up yeah. or was he on? No, after? no. Yeah, got we it. dated for like four years. And so he was on, which was a great conversation and, and you know, totally fine. But then, you know, whenever we broke up and I had to talk about it on the podcast, <laughs> um, which was hard. Yeah. But I think also, like, you know, like we're saying, everything over, you know, in time, time heals all wounds. And it's not, you know, it's a part of life. And I think that's been a cool thing. Me sharing stuff is all, everything's a part of life. And other people have, you know, experiences just like the ones I'm having. And Mm -hmm. so that, you know, the more I can share in a way that still makes me feel comfortable I'm happy that people can know that Olympians don't feel confident all the time and, you know, yes. their their boyfriends break up with them at inopportune times. And But, like, it's yeah. okay. So I think that that kind of thing just is not easy in the moment, but I don't know. But it's important. Yeah. And there's a reason, too, that you love podcasts. Like, I know you mentioned there's some sports ones or whatever, but, like, clearly you feel connected to the people that you listen to. I think that there's a weird thing about podcasts that make them feel just so authentic. It's this really cool, I know it's not super new anymore, but medium that's just different. Like, I know it's edited, but it doesn't feel as edited as, say, you know, newspaper article or magazine article and definitely less than, like, TV, but it's not reality TV. I don't know. It's this cool space in the middle, so... Yes, agreed. And there is something because of that, that this, the medium of podcast sort of becomes almost inherently more intimate because when is someone actually like using their voice to just off the cuff tell their own story, right? And something that's not, yeah, like a scripted interview or a planned interview or things like that. It is a space where it is one can more comfortably open up. That's cool too, that you're interviewing folks from other sports. So it's beyond rowing. It's more about those three years. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I've had a ton of different kinds of guests and it's all been fun. And even, you know, I'll do episodes where it's just me talking. I want to know a little bit more about Paris. Like, I want to just hear open-ended, you know, it's what, February now. So, like, it's coming up. Like, is when the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve and it turns to 2024, is that like a shift for you? Or like, what's it like in these months coming up? So... It's funny because my brother got married New Year's Eve, so I was literally, like, very aware when it became 2024, and I did think about it. I was like, it's 2024, but I don't know. I personally, yes, there is a big goal, but there are intermediary goals along the way, and I have things I want to accomplish, you know, personally and, you know, in team boats and stuff. And I think just 
you know, controlling what I can control and checking things off along the way. Because for me, just thinking about I want to do well in this race that's really far away is like almost overwhelming. Yes. That is a goal. And honestly, like, I mean, everybody knows you're doing a workout and it's hard and you're like, eh, you know, and now I would say 2024 for me really started in like November 2023 (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my mind. I don't know. Right after the head of the Charles, I was like, get your butt in gear, Christina. But I'm like. Nope. Keep crushing this workout. If you're not somebody else's, like there's just been uh, yeah. uh, somebody, oh my gosh, I can't even remember who it was, gave me very good advice. Uh, maybe it was more than one person of like, this will probably seem unsustainable and it should seem unsustainable. Like mm-hmm. that you're not trying to sustain this anymore. There's six months and that you can do something unsustainable for that time period. But at the same time, trying not to get super like, super stressed about anything and you know trusting that I because I really have done the training since Tokyo like um Greg Stone coached me when I rode with Jevy and following the Olympics he was like you know you can take a little bit of time off but it's really important because this is a shorter Olympic cycle because of the pandemic there's not a lot of time to take off and getting back into training is going to be a good thing so I really did get back into training pretty quickly and I've had good training for three years now yes and so I think finding the balance between like yes wanting to do more and push myself but also being able to trust you know the process that we that I've been on and I think you know Yosi writes us a great training plan and you know just trusting the process I guess yeah That's smart. I like that advice too. You know, obviously I'm not in your shoes, but that notion of like, if if it feels different than what it would feel like one year ago, like that's because it is different because like, that's a very logical thought path to get to where it's like, right. Yeah. Because it it is different. Like it's a different moment, but here you on the, the foundation being strong. I guess my last question is the community at Saratoga is obviously, um, I mean, Team Christy, there's like a sandwich named after you in downtown Saratoga. How did the like high school kids when you were preparing for Tokyo help ground you? And like, have you been able to take some of that, like just your interactions with them? I don't know how much or how little you were able to coach at the time, but like, how has that helped shape the athlete you are today? Oh, I mean, so I coached, I moved to Saratoga in like the end of 2016 and I coached until Tokyo and huge effect on me. Like if I was ever having a bad day, going to juniors practice would brighten my day right up. And even if I thought something was like hard and then I go and they're doing these super hard things and they're children who just went to school, like I'm like, why am I thinking that's hard? And, you know, the relationships you create with the kids is mm. is also just so special. And coaching, um, I coached a lot of different groups and got to know a lot of different kids around the boathouse, which was really, really fun. And then, you know, so many of them went and rode in college, get to follow that, like really fun. So then right after Tokyo, I started as the regatta director for Saratoga Rowing. And I've coached a very little bit during that time. It's been a lot harder because we are required to travel a lot more and be away a lot mm. more. And, and there's new coaches in. When I coached just with Kat, he 
was really, really flexible with us and me and traveling and everything. It's not that they're less flexible now. It's just I understand they want people in for consistent periods of time, Yes, which I think makes perfect sense. Um, it does make me sad because I don't know as many kids on the Saratoga team as I did before. Yeah. But they know you. They know me. And I do like I do know, know a lot you. of them. Yes. But it's, yeah. it's definitely a bit there's a, a bit more separation than there was at the beginning, yeah. which what did you take with you? What did you like take from that, from being with them into like who you are now? I think that one thing I have going for me is that I take everything seriously, but I really want it to be fun. And I think that a big part of that is like that I rode in high school and college but also that I spent so much time coaching. The other thing, big takeaway that I took from my own coaching is when I was in high school and college and coaches would speak to the whole group, I thought every word they were saying was directed at me. Always. Every word. And then I started coaching and, you know, you're expected to stand. This was also the most hilarious part about coaching. I'm like, they're expecting me to give a pre-race talk. Like, I'm supposed to pump these children up. What am I supposed to say? Oh, my um, God. But... I know, and they're all looking at you like big eyes, and you're like, oh, I don't know, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> did you did you find yourself sharing things that like like you would have wanted to hear in their yes in their so shoes? it's funny I um had my new boyfriend Ian on the podcast last week, and he asked what I missed most about coaching, and I started talking all about this kind of thing, <sighs> but I did I have this one really core memory of you know, like it was a big race. The other thing is I got to coach the 2V a lot and I just have a, a special place in my heart for a 2V. There's 2V magic. I just love yeah, a 2V. There's, there's, there's no losing because like, yeah, if you, it's a good vibe. Yeah, it's just a great vibe. And like those kind of kids, you know, like they want to try. I mean, even the 3V sometimes like, oh, it's just so exciting. So I loved the groups I got to coach also. Like it was really fun, but there's this one day and it was before the Saratoga Invitational and it was when Eric Gerke was coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. I was coaching with him. And so he kind of gave this, basically they had been seated not that well and like as a team. And he kind of gave them this not bad speech, but about like protecting our water. And it was really intense mm-hmm. and it was really like, this is our house and this is our water and blah, blah, blah. And it's not that it was bad. It was just that my 2V boat was, you know, sweet baby angels. And like, yeah, in a they were place. in a different place. And so we went aside and I was like, you know what? We're not going to throw away what he just said, but I just want you guys to yeah. go out and just have fun. Be warming up and be like, I am out here with my friends and I love Ugh. what I'm doing and there's no place I'd rather be. And I am going to try my hardest in this race because I care, but not because of anything else. I ended up having a great race and it was all great. But like, I just, Ugh. I feel like that was something I wanted somebody to say to me. Yeah. Um, you know, however long ago, which is probably why I like Kat so much. <laughs> I but. know. I mean, it's true because you can cut the tension sometimes with a knife. And when you're like 16 years old and you're shoving off the dock and you're like, the pressure of the world is on your shoulders. And it's like, it's actually just fine. And especially at that age where like the performance is so dynamic anyway, you know, like that mi- shift in mindset can have a profound effect on how they actually 
perform if they relax yeah. and they don't. You, you know, have to read but... the kid though. And I think that's the other was always the really interesting mm-hmm. thing to me. Like some of them, you'd go up to them behind, you know, during an erg test and you just start yelling at them to go faster and they go faster. And some of them, they would cry. <laughs> so right, you have right, to right, know right. which kid is which kid. And But no, the Saratoga community is so great. It makes me sad that I'm not there more because I really do miss feeling like I was a part like I am a part of that community and I know I am still a part of the community, but yes. it was definitely a lot more boots on the ground, but there was, I, I know we were, we were close to the end, but there was a really great no, moment no, no. Um, at the head of the Charles, like right after the Olympics. And they made some announcement about how you could go to the U S rowing tent and meet an Olympian. And one of the kids was like, I don't need to do that. I know an Olympian. And I was I just like, that. yes, like, you know, they're so cute. But I think that's the other really cool thing or that's been the really cool thing of like, we were just regular people. The middle schoolers yes. had no idea, you know, that that all the Orion athletes are on the national team. Like, they don't care if we're working at Stewart's or rowing on the national team. Like yes. we're just people to them that they spend two hours with three times a week. And I think I really liked that. Like I liked that mm-hmm. it wasn't like we were up on this pedestal because even still, I don't feel the need to be on a pedestal. The opposite of that yeah. to me is almost like when a national team is like training in your boathouse or something and there you're like, there's like this reverence, which is cool in the moment, or maybe it's not even a national team, but like one or two people and there's like a reverence, like, oh, you can't talk to them or you can't like go near them or they're not like humans. And the like opposite of that is what you've described to me, which is like the warmth and the getting to know them as people and them getting to know you and like their middle school bad day is the same as your national team person bad day. And like, it's a bad day as a, as a human, yeah. you know, being. And I also think too, when you were chatting, like, and and you're and understandably right with Paris around the corner you're like oh I just I can't be there as much and I miss it I was like she'll be back like that community doesn't go away like those people don't go away like that support doesn't go away and like people don't forget each other either they're coming down to the site to you know and and you know as you were saying earlier right like chatting to you about their experience like 20 years ago or whatever like there is some like sprinkle of magic in that place and I'm like no you're in it like I forget that you didn't grow up there. <laughs> So I'm just like, oh, Christy, like Saratoga, you know? I know. Like, but I do feel... They've adopted you. I do now feel like... I feel like Saratoga has given me so much and everyone, you know, all of the staff there over the years, but obviously, especially Kat and Chase. And so that's the other thing that I just can feel so good about. Like, I am happy that I could work now for Saratoga Rowing and, and in my role, like as regatta director, I can share fish Creek and Saratoga with so many people Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, keep some of the ideals that they had. Of course I challenged them on some things, but like, I think that it's just really cool that the head of the fish can continue to be like the head of the fish and it doesn't need to be head of the Charles or whatever, you know, like it can be its own thing. And what makes it so great, you know, is like, the mud and you know so yes it's it's real like yes there's like a little 
utopia that I feel like that doesn't change when I do come home. And that's a great point that like the head of the fish doesn't need to be the like biggest five day fall regatta in America. It's like, no one cares. Like it's just the head of the fish and the fish heads are sacred and the art, the like artists that make them is like a whole thing. Yeah. And it's been going on for how many years. And like Kat is there. Kat's the best coach. And Kat's like the best coach in the whole I world. He is. He really is. He's just so good. It almost He's makes so me good. go out that I yell at him sometimes. <laughs> No, it's good. I'm sure he likes to be challenged. Like, that's a good thing. I feel like it's it's amazing. And you moved to Saratoga to be coached mm-hmm. by him, right? Like, for Orion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really think Kat is, is really great. So I hope that everybody really enjoyed that. Thank you so much to Colleen for coming on the podcast and being so open and sharing so much. I really just appreciate her for coming on and talking to me for so long. It was so nice of her. And to end the show this week, I've just been thinking, well, really my roommate Claire spurred my thinking about the Shack documentary. And I think I've shared this quote before, but in the Shack documentary, he just at one point is like, above all, be nice. You just got to be nice. And I think that that's kind of my motto going into into this race week, you know, like be nice, you know, you can race hard, but still be nice and you can be nice in victory and you can be nice in defeat. I think I just, I don't really care what other people do, but if I can do that, then I'll be proud of myself. So that's my quote of the week. Be nice (laughs) from Shaq and I'm sure many other people. So thanks for listening. I'd love to hear from you. So send us a topic suggestion, or if you'd like to submit a question for our Ask Christy Anything segment, head to our website, theother3years.com.